I'm Alex Mozad, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win. Against who? Against big tech monopolies. And oh boy, do we have a great show with a lot of very relevant updates on those exact topics. Starting from the top, we're going to talk about a great study that just came out looking at Amazon um, and how their profits are actually driven by, you guessed it, their third-party sellers. Then we're going to talk about Jack Dorsey, who we have talked many times in the show that he needed to go from Twitter, and he went. Turns out he didn't go by and replace himself with someone that the market liked very much. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Rumble is now public or going public via a SPAC. They've announced who they're going to go public with, um, and, uh, and, and Rumble is one of the alternative, small niche, alternative kind of free speech content platforms. Well, now Rumble's valuing themselves at $2 billion, but they're small and niche, so don't worry about them. Got a lot of China news. Uh, DD is now delisted off of the New York Stock Exchange. Rumors that Alibaba is going to go the same way. Biden officially signed, I think, a law uh, banning Huawei and ZTE doing business in the United States. And last but not least, there's some really peculiar chatter on our Wish videos, which might have an interesting linkage to China. So uh, before we jump in, if you want to stay updated and get more updates from us, you can text us. Text the word Monopoly and you'll get some special goodies. Text us at 203-646-5159. That's 203-646-5159. Let's jump on in. First topic, Amazon. So check this report out from this really interesting institute I did not really know much about uh, prior to this report being published. But this is the, the group. It's called... Well, the, the report is called Amazon's Toll Road, published by the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Uh, actually, really interesting group here. If you look at their What We Do page, they have a vision of thriving, diverse, equitable communities. To reach this vision, we, we build local power to fight corporate control. They've been around for like 40 plus years. We recognize the biggest challenges in the U.S. today are corporate control and diminishing community power, which undermines the strength of, strength of our democracy and local economies. Really interesting. And part of that is promoting locally owned business and to fight the unchecked power of corporate giants. They could change corporate giants to monopolies, Amazon being one of the biggest and baddest. As we've just covered the report that came out from Reuters about what Amazon's doing in India, similar kind of theme around what they're doing between 1P and 3P and playing a lot of games around that. So this report, basically, a few really interesting insights from this. This I thought was pretty eye-opening. Amazon's Hidden Profit Center, kind of dispelling the notion that AWS actually drives the most profits for Amazon overall. Right, you see here, AWS, $13.5 billion. And then you look at... Amazon lumps it all together, direct, retail, prime, and marketplace, $9 billion. What the point they're making in this report is that you have to understand that if you were to break out direct, retail, prime, and marketplace, marketplace is driving relatively way more profit than AWS. Their estimate is $24 billion of profit. And what they're saying is direct retail, which is 1P, right? So um, Amazon Basics, all, all the 1P white label products that Amazon is creating and Prime are losing money, 
right? So in in Applico and 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 platform parlance, what you would what we would say is direct retail, one P, Amazon Basics, and Prime are what we would call a linear hook. That is the hook, the um, the kind of user retention and user acquisition, both product subsidy and monetary subsidy to keep consumers coming back again and again and again. So you're getting rock bottom uh, prices on those really high volume kind of mainstay staple products, right? That's what Amazon is either 1P they're buying and then reselling off a balance sheet or they're just creating their own version of it with Amazon Basics. So they're saying, hey, between those products and Prime, Amazon's losing by their estimate $15 billion annually, which means that if they're losing $15 billion on that, and they get $24 billion on profit from the fees and, and services that they're selling to third-party sellers, which is what they've categorized as marketplace profit. So 24 minus 15 equals 9, right? So they're saying Amazon's driving much more profit from marketplace than they are AWS. But the 1P, the linear hook that Amazon's doing and losing money on, is making it appear that AWS is more profitable, but it's really not. So that's one really interesting insight here. The other part of that, obviously, is that marketplace and the fees from that are skyrocketing. So look at this chart. From 2014, call it 10 billion, 12 billion in total, kind of 3P marketplace revenue, to now in 2021, a little shy called 120 billion, a little shy of 125 billion in revenue. Uh, that's their estimate for 2021. Obviously, we're still in 2021. But you can see then they break this down between referral fee fulfilled by Amazon fees, seller advertising fees, and other. Other is very small, it's de minimis. Seller advertising fees now is over 10 billion in revenue. This is ads. We've covered how Amazon's just ballooning its its ad business and has now become a top three digital advertising player behind the duopoly of Google and Facebook in very short order, just a few years time. So that's the third biggest revenue category. Second biggest revenue category are referral fees. So this is basically just think of it as the, you know, the take rate on, on Amazon. So, hey, I sell a product for a hundred bucks. Amazon's referral fee maybe now is somewhere around like 15%. That fee has gone up. Those fees, many of them were sub 10%. Now many of them are over 10%, right? It's just, that's the take rate basically, right? That's kind of qualified as referral fee. So then it looks like that's coming in and maybe around 45 billion in revenue projected for 2021 on take rate revenue against 3P. And then the, the, the biggest bucket by dollars is FBA fees. These are fulfillment fees, right? So this is I'm storing my stuff in an Amazon warehouse and then Amazon is fulfilling that on my behalf and charging me a fee, hence the name fulfilled by Amazon. So that's basically the breakdown of, of those major buckets. But you can see this just ballooning from 2018 being, you know, call it 45, 47 billion in revenue to now 2021 being like 120 billion in revenue, right? It's it's almost 3Xing in three or four years. I mean, it's crazy. Obviously, COVID being a huge accelerant, 2019, this clocking in at maybe around 60 billion to 2020, jumping to call it 
85, 90 billion, right? So a massive, almost 50% growth there. And then similarly, a, a massive amount of growth from 2020 to 2021, from call it 90 billion to now maybe 120 billion. So maybe, you know, 30, 33% growth. Massive growth, considering the numbers we're talking about are not small. So how did they do this? And basically it's because, that's right. Oh yeah, Amazon is what? Oh yes, Amazon's a monopoly. Doesn't Amazon's ability to hike those fees so steeply suggest that Amazon enjoys market power over those sellers, i.e. you are a monopoly? Bezos replied, I think what you're seeing there when you see those fees, these fees going up, what's really happening is that sellers are choosing to use more of our services that we make available. Yeah, because if they don't, you know, their whole business will collapse because you are their primary and majority channel of what? Revenue. That makes you a what? Yes, a monopoly. Um, as we've talked about multiple times on this show, the reason why Amazon is a monopoly is because they account for over, by our estimates, over 60 to 70% of all of the third-party revenue in the United States. What does that mean? So if you are a third-party seller, you can now sell on on Amazon, on Walmart, and uh, now there's a, a bunch of vertical-specific marketplaces, right? You add that all up, all those third-party seller uh, GMV volumes, Amazon is still going to be at least 60, possibly over 70% of those GMV volumes, which means if you are a third-party seller, <laughs> right, the lion's share of GMV, the lion's share of volume going to you, the third-party seller, it's coming from Amazon. That makes Amazon a clear monopoly when it comes to marketplace. For every $100 a seller earns in sales, Amazon's taking $34. So 34%, that's up from $19 in, in 2014. When you add in all those things, right? Referral fees fulfilled by Amazon fees, ads weren't really a thing at all back in 2014. But now, right, they're basically taking 34 cents on every dollar that flows through to a third-party seller. From 2014 to 2020 to 2021, you can see direct retail sales versus prime fees versus marketplace and AWS fees and how those are becoming a larger and larger part of the pie. In 2014, this is marketplace and AWS was 19% of revenue as now in 2021, projected to be 41%. Really, the rub in all this is how do these, how does, this, how does this group really delineate between basically how much money they're losing on 1P and, and Prime versus what they're making on third party? Uh, you know, how did, they, how did they get the $15 billion in losses, right? They kind of touch on that. Amazon's lack of disclosure makes it impossible to know exactly how profitable Marketplace is, but one can sketch a rough idea. Anal analysts believe that Amazon's margins on third-party seller services are roughly 20%. That works out to $16 billion in profits. If we assume that Amazon's margin on seller advertising is 50%, that adds another $8 billion in profits. Combine this would mean that Amazon pulled down $24 billion for Marketplace. And then from there, they're saying, hey, we think Amazon's losing money on direct retail and Prime. But they're really kind of backing into that number 
from calculating the, the, the profit on marketplace, right? So it's hard to know exactly. You're never really going to know exactly because Amazon doesn't break it out. The logic makes sense at a high level. Probably a good topic to probe Amazon on if, if you are a government body, either a regulator or a legislator. I think conceptually, they're spot on in their thinking. And again, the numbers might be a little bit off here or there, but conceptually, I think this makes a lot of sense and has really done a great job kind of being very illustrative on, again, how the monopoly, who does the, who does the platform take advantage of when they become a monopoly? As we've said a bajillion times on this show, they take advantage of producers, not consumers. At the end of this report, they do try to then kind of end around to the whole thing that Amazon is raising consumer prices. Why bother? You don't even need to bother. This group, what is this group? The Institute for Local Self-Reliance. You did a great job. Just just honestly cut off that whole part of the, the bottom bit there on the report. You don't need to go there. Your argument really does get kind of, you get to poke some holes in that when you say, yeah, Amazon's raising costs for the consumer, but they're losing $9 billion by selling all this 1P and Amazon basic stuff at, at cost or at a loss, right? Like those two things counteract with each other. So why even get there? You don't need to. All you need to say is Amazon takes advantage of third-party sellers. Check. Um, sellers are customers of Amazon. Check. Amazon controls over 60, possibly 70% of GMV for all third-party sellers. Check. Amazon equals monopoly. Um, therefore, we should take action. It's two or three points. That's all you got to do. Don't even get into the consumer stuff. Anyway, it's a great report. Suggest you go dig into it. Another step in the battle to fight back and win against big tech. And a, a, a really prominent piece of research to move that fight along. Great job. I-L-S-R what they go by, I guess. So, okay. Next topic is someone that would love to be called a tech monopoly, but is very far from being a monopoly, and that is Twitter. And so Twitter has now come out with the news. Basically, I, you know, of course, I've been railing on how Jack Dorsey is a horrible CEO on Twitter for years. Now, not only has he, um, he's a horrible leader at Twitter, A, B, He's developed and cultivated an even worse management team underneath him, which has prevented Elliot, their activist investor, from running a proper process to replace him as CEO. Talked about that a bunch, too. But anyway, of course, I, I take one of my first international trips ever now since COVID, and I land, and then boom, Jack Dorsey is, is, is stepping down as CEO of Twitter. That was the first news that broke Monday morning. And I was thinking about all of you. I hope you were thinking about me too. But I was thinking about all of you and saying, ah, God, I wish I could be doing a WTA right now. So the news broke before, before the markets opened. CNBC had the, had the report that Jack was going to step down. So they closed that Friday before that Monday at $47 a share. Okay, $47 a share. Boom. Markets open. Twitter's up 10%, actually a little bit more, up here, 51.88, opens at 51.88, right? Pops, boom, over 10% on the news that Jack Dorsey is stepping down. Because why? He's a horrible CEO at Twitter. Done an abysmal job. 
abysmal job. Now, now that he's gone, everyone likes to rag on him. I've been ragging on him appropriately so for easily years now at this point. Look at this chart. Twitter's daily active user growth, basically lack thereof in the United States. Look at the blue line. It's basically flat for like four years. You know, they have like from 25 million to like 30 million daily active users in four years. That's not growth. That's called flat. All their growth has come international. See the red line from like 80 million in 2017 to, I don't know, 175. So it doubled. Great. Bad news is you can't really sell that much ad dollars to all these international users. Eyeballs that advertisers want to get in front of are the blue line. And the blue line ain't growing. If anything, they're probably playing a bunch of funny games with this blue line. I wouldn't believe much of this blue line um, if I was an investor. Blue line's flat. That's where all the money comes from. Red line's going up, but you don't really get much, much money. But it's a nice headline number to say, yeah, look at all of our daily active growth. Oh, yeah, it's all from international, not in the United States where it actually matters. Uh, Jack Dorsey, horrible CEO. One of the, honestly, the most important things about being a good CEO is what? Succession planning and cultivating the right management team underneath you who can take your place when you ascend. 5188, it opens from the news, CNBC, boom, Jack Dorsey's going to step down. Everyone goes, yes, thank, thank you, Twitter gods, for freeing us from this horrible leader. Then, <laughs> Then the bad news hits. They, the markets then start to learn about who is going to replace Jack Dorsey. And by the end of the day, the stock just goes down and down and down. And, and the stock ends up finishing at the end of the day once it's now been announced that Parag, the CTO at Twitter, is going to be the CEO. Stock ends up finishing like 2 or 3% down. So it started at over like 10, 11% up in the morning. So then finishing down 2 or 3%, basically at almost a 15% swing on the stock by the news that who is actually going to replace Jack is actually the current CTO. Why would investors not be impressed about the current CTO becoming the CEO? Oh, that's right. Maybe because he is like the main reason that the product and the user growth is not performing, right? Like this is the CTO. This is... And he's been there literally his whole career. Jack raves about him in his letter, raving, oh, you know, Parag. Look at Parag. The board ran a rigorous process considering all options and unanimously appointed Parag. What that really means is no good executive wanted to run Twitter and come in from the outside. Why? Because this thing is an absolute basket case. This thing is an abysmally run company with a horrible management team. You'd have to gut the whole thing and you got to jumpstart growth from a dead, you know, a dead start. Not an easy task to do. That means no good manager, no good tech executive said, yeah, let me go run Twitter. That means they basically had no good options. That's what that means. He's been my choice for some time, given how deeply he understands the company and, and its needs. He's Jack's choice. Certainly not Elliott Management's choice. Parag has been behind every critical decision that helped turn this company around. I don't really think they've been turned around. That's uh, definitely up for debate. Farther down in the note, Parag started here as an engineer who cared deeply about our work, and now he's our CEO. So, you know, he's risen up through the ranks at Twitter. Exactly why 
He's the exact opposite leader that the company needs. You need someone from the outside to shake things up, to change the culture, to change how they build product, to change how they approach content and how they've become so censor friendly on the content censorship that they've scared away their users, including banning their most popular user. Yes, the former president. Horrible strategic business decision on their part. Not only have they done that, but they've continued to double down on being a tech censor Orwellian run kind of thought policing type of company, which has then, yes, given rise to one of our next topics, which is going to be Rumble, now worth $2 billion. Yes, let's bring in the guy, the symptom for where we are today and make him the leader. Yeah, great idea. Not, But before I get to that, let's go to the other point here. Second point. The second is Brett Taylor agreeing to become our board chair. I asked Brett to join our board. And Brett is, at, at the time of this writing, this thing coming out now on Monday, Brett Taylor was the COO at Salesforce. He was a co-COO at Salesforce. At the time of Jack Dorsey announcing him stepping down and Brett Taylor becoming the chair of the board at Twitter. Now, Brett Taylor has just been appointed co-CEO of Salesforce. All in the same past few days. Some people thought that Brett Taylor was going to become CEO of, of Salesforce, not co-CEO. Small little tangent, which is that Mark Benioff has had a co-CEO in the past. The guy only lasted two years. And then Mark Benioff kicked him out because they clashed. And so now Brett Taylor, you know, some have kind of viewed this to say, well, if he doesn't become CEO, he can kind of use Twitter as a hedge if he wants to become Twitter CEO. Anyway, um, he's now co-CEO of Salesforce all in just this these past few days. Jack stepped down on Monday the 29th. Then on Tuesday the 30th, this news was announced about Brett Taylor becoming co-CEO, which means the guy's going to have even less time. And I don't think this is as much of a hedge anymore for Brett to be, you know, go from co-CEO of Salesforce to actually be like CEO of Twitter. I actually, you know, if he was co-CEO, COO of Salesforce and then didn't get the, the Salesforce CEO or co-CEO job, okay, maybe he becomes CEO of Twitter because he wants to be CEO. But so I don't even see that one as being likely anymore. If some people were like, oh, well, if Parag sucks, maybe Brett could become CEO of Twitter. Well, that backup plan just got shot to smithereens. So on day two or first day kind of officially as Parag being CEO, then he comes out with this wonderful idea. Since my sarcasm. Twitter bans sharing of private people's photos, videos without consent. Social media platform says it will re remove private media when it is reported by a person depicted or authorized representative. And basically what everyone is saying is basically this is just a cop out so that Twitter can be more Orwellian, not less. Twitter can be even more of a thought police, not less, right? This is basically going to give Twitter carte blanche authority to decide when to take down content and when not to take down content. And, you know, now anyway, they have basically any reason to do it, even if even though it didn't matter in the past uh, why they would do it or not. But now even more so they can do whatever they want with the content. They can censor it. They can edit it. They can modify it. And they're just really doubling down on this position of being a content censor and, and, and thought police as opposed to embodying the actual principles of platform, which is to enable the sharing of information and creativity and freedom of thought and expression. 
which they clearly do not believe in. And certainly Parag actually, I, I thought that, I thought Jack was bad. This guy might actually be worse. Hard to even imagine that. But I actually think he just promoted the guy who's worse. Because on his first day, he actually does exactly the thing and goes in the exact direction they shouldn't have gone. He doubles down on the exact thing, which is hurting their growth. <laughs> like explicitly hurting their growth. It's just crazy. It's just crazy. I mean, he's just taking a shotgun. not shooting himself in the foot. Shooting himself right in the leg, like right in the thigh, where all your blood goes through. That's what he just did. Shotgun to the thigh. This guy's, this guy's crazy. Just like the rest of the team over there at Twitter. Last point on this, and then I'm moving on. Elliott Management came into the stock in November. In November of 2020, right around when the stock was in the low, like 43 bucks a share. It's now at 42. Yeah, great job, Elliot. You were right to get rid of Jack. You just shouldn't have replaced him with one of his uh, protégés who has the same thinking, if not worse, who has the same blinders, if not more aggressive. It's ridiculous. But I guess, honestly, I guess Elliot just didn't have any good options. No one wanted the job. No one wanted the job. He just created, he being Jack, has created a toxic culture, toxic work environment with a probably C-grade team. No one wanted that headache. Even for, you know, $100 million. Because whoever could do the job has much better opportunities, especially with all the SPACs and all the, all the things going on in, in tech these days. I don't blame them. Wouldn't want that headache. Next topic. We're on a roll today. Uh, next topic is Rumble. So flowing into the exact example of what happens when you are overzealous with your censorship and when you do act like... The book 1984, you want to make 1984 a reality, which you're doing a pretty good job of doing these days, um, is the exact counterpoint to that, which is Rumble. Uh, Rumble was one of my five oxymorons. Uh, these were the niche alternative free speech content platforms that everyone said were niche and were not relevant. And now Rumble has announced that they're going public with a spec called CFVI. This is Cantor Fitzgerald's acquisition, you know, shell company. Tremendous growth they tout from 1.6 million monthly active users in Q3 of 2020 to 36 million a year later. This is not niche, my friends, by any means. They now value the company at $2 billion. $2.1 billion, sorry, is rounding down. So a $2.1 billion valuation up from $500 million just seven months prior. Their growth has been explosive. And they're raising $400 million in proceeds in a mixture of from, from the SPAC entity and the pipe. We don't need to get into the nuance of it, but they're getting $400 million, just dropping the bucket. And here, I mean, look at, look, at, look at what they talk about. Rumble was built on the belief that all creators should have the opportunity to freely express themselves and reach their followers without censorship, censorship or restrictions. CEO says Rumble is designed to be the rails and independent infrastructure that is immune to cancel culture. We are a movement that does not stifle, censor, or punish creativity and believe everyone's be everyone benefits from access to a neutral network with diverse ideas and opinions. We are on a mission to restore the internet to its roots by making it free and open once again. The transaction we announce will give us a bunch of capital to go and do just that, basically. This has been a huge strategic blunder 
on behalf of the big tech content monopolies. This is a strategic blunder for them to become so censor friendly. And it goes against the very ethos of the platform business model and all of its benefit and value. We're just getting started, right? Uh, this $2 billion. Now, here's the irony is we actually use Rumble. And I would say from, and so winner take all is on Rumble. We're on YouTube, the devil. Um, but we're also on Odyssey, which we love. We're also on Gab. So we are users of alternative free speech content platforms. But what I'll say, frankly, between those three that I mentioned, uh, Rumble, Odyssey, and Gab, just from our anecdotal experience with the show, Rumble is probably the least well-performing for us, just from a product and a user experience, as well as an engagement standpoint. I'd say Odyssey probably has the best product and user experience in terms of us uploading our content and it being really seamless and frictionless environment. And then Gab probably wins on the engagement side amongst those three alternative sites. So to me, if I'm looking at Gab and their CEO just came out with a note talking about he doesn't want to raise any money, but if he wanted to raise money, yeah, they're blowing up too. They just haven't raised any money. And these alternative social media content platforms, oh yes, they're well poised to blow up. Rumble being a great example of that, which is great. Why is that great? Oh, yes, because they are taking the fight to fight back and do what? Yes, win against big tech monopolies. That is lovely. Some big tech monopolies that are on the decline. We do not like platforms that are used to help authoritarian governments uh, enslave their people which is exactly what the CCP does with its big tech monopolies. So this is actually great news. Again, nothing, there's nothing wrong with the platforms being uh, you know, from or built by, by Chinese people. The problem is that the CCP pollutes and abuses the power of the tech monopoly to enforce its will upon the citizens of China. And that is inexcusable and a really sad abuse of, of, of what should be a very positive, even Amazon, right? Even Amazon, yes, they take advantage of sellers and, and yes, they do a lot of bad to predominantly the seller community. They do create a lot of value for society, right? Which on the show is, well, we're not advocating like Amazon be shut down or broken up. It just doesn't make any sense, but for, for a bunch of reasons. But Amazon still does create a lot of value for society. That whole kind of value to society equation changes quite dramatically when your big tech monopoly is also now basically a uh, de facto arm of an authoritarian government, particularly a communist one called the CCP. Um, so I'm all for this kind of news. The great decoupling, as I like to call it, which is in full motion. DD shares plunge 20% on the plan to delist from the New York Stock Exchange. Hallelujah. This needs to happen way, 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 way more. We need to have not just Chinese tech monopolies, but um, you know, Chinese companies in general that are public on U.S. exchanges take advantage of U.S. investors 
do not comply with the same level of, of transparency, Sarbanes-Oxley auditing requirements that a U.S. company has to comply with. And there's just a bunch of fraud. You can't trust them. We've talked about how insiders are selling shares from these Chinese companies. We've talked about Chinese platforms um, like tutoring, this tutoring company that the insiders sold their shares. And none of that information was shared publicly with investors because they mailed the forms into the agency and the forms were never uploaded to the site. Yeah, I kid you not. Go check one of our prior episodes on this. These companies take advantage of U.S. investors until they're held to the same standard as U.S. companies. They should not be able to access U.S. capital. Full stop. So this is phenomenal information that DD is being delisted. Look at DD's stock. Bam, down 22% today. Um, look at the past six months uh, from 14 bucks a share down to six. Another story is that now it's rumored that Alibaba is going to be delisted as well. Look at Alibaba stock. Nosedive, baby. 266 a year ago down to a buck 12. Ouch. It had to be. It had to be. These companies, they take advantage of U.S. And other, you know, foreign individuals' information feed all that information back to the CCP, violating all sorts of laws. They just, they don't care. No one's going to hold them accountable. Not to mention their numbers. We have no visibility into their numbers and what's real and what's not. And they're just basically an extension of the CCP, which is completely inappropriate. And we shouldn't be putting money or supporting that. You know, and then they get, they, they were, not anymore, but they were put into all these indices, right? So you have like... U.S. pension funds putting money into these stocks. It's insane. So anyway, this is great news. And again, another win. We're getting a lot of wins these days. Another win in the fight against big tech monopolies, especially uh, CCP-controlled big tech monopolies, which is very near and dear to my heart. Biden finalizes Trump's ban against Huawei and ZTE. Now, honestly, if you're looking at the news, you won't see this news article. Why? Because this news article does not fit the narrative where the media is trying to be so, so divisive and to splinter this country when we actually have a lot of things to be unified on, China being the easiest of topics. But there's a lot of things that people in this country actually agree upon. But no, that doesn't fit the narrative. We want to split people apart, pit them against each other. That's what sells the news. That's what fits into Facebook's algorithm, might I add, right? Facebook promotes that kind of content, the divisive, the incendiary, the exacerbating content, which has been a huge uh, exacerbation of this problem. And the media companies, you know, it's a vicious cycle. The media companies kind of have to do it to, to play the game with the algorithm. So anyway, this piece of news does not fit the narrative, which is why you won't see it out there a lot. And yes, you actually have two different political parties agreeing over the national security threat posed by Chinese technology companies. In this case, they're not software companies, they are hardware companies, Huawei and ZTE. Huawei being the huge infrastructure, you know, you hear about 5G, 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 all the internet kind of telecom, cell phone infrastructure um, from Huawei. Huawei also makes mobile phones, which got nuked. Um, and we called that on the show, how once they couldn't use Android, Huawei was dead in the water internationally, bunch of reporters, playing into Huawei's media narrative that they were going to go build their own operating system and they were going to be okay. Their phone mobile unit was going to be okay. Complete bullocks. We called it on the show. We were a thousand percent right. Huawei was dead in the water without the ability to use 
the U.S. tech monopoly platform called Android. Now ZTE is also one of the big smartphone manufacturers. And um, boom, they cannot work with, they not, cannot do business in the United States. They cannot work with U.S. companies. They are absolutely a national security threat. You absolutely cannot trust that any data on one of these Chinese uh, you know, hardware devices is safe and not feeding its way right back to the CCP. The same threat exists for Zoom. Yes, Zoom, because they've got like a thousand, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a product made in China, marketed as a US product company headquartered and based in the United States, but made in China. The founder is entirely Chinese. All of his engineering team is in China. We've documented multiple times in the show how the Chinese government has control over getting access to U.S. users and foreign users using Zoom. Same risk exists for TikTok, which unfortunately has not been banned, but hopefully we're going to see TikTok uh, come under scrutiny and more action, uh, which was also something that Trump set into motion. But hopefully this is now, again, the beginning of more to come as it relates to recognizing that our real threat, our real competitor, our real enemy who is at war with us, not kinetic war, information war, we had... Jacob Helberg on has um, interviewed him recently to his Wires of War, his book, um, talking about this exact issue where he will tell you, and we've talked about it on the show, we are in an information warfare right here, right now with China. We are at war. It's a different kind of warfare. It's information warfare. And we need to get smart and act. So this is phenomenal news. Phenomenal news. I hope the Biden administration continues on this charge, holds these Chinese companies accountable for cheating. Cheating. Cannot be trusted. Last topic on this, similar kind of thread here, is, is really weird, right? We've come out with a lot of videos on Wish, and which have been skeptical of Wish, rightly so. Look at Wish's stock price. Yes, you're welcome if you're thinking about being an investor in Wish and didn't because you watch our show. Um, that You're welcome. But <clears throat> you look at our, our videos about Wish and you look at the comments that we get, a thousand percent, the 50 cent army is helping Wish. Like, look at these comments. Same as Amazon. No difference between the two companies, except Amazon gets the garbage to you faster. Actually, Amazon wanted to buy Wish and was hostile toward it when they refused. Dumb move by the Wish CEO. I found good electronic products on Wish that were sold out on other platforms. What? Who says that? Alibaba sells Chinese crap. Give Wish time to turn the ship. Even Luck and Coffee, which scammed U.S. investors and completely defrauded all their uh, financial reporting, went from a buck thirty-eight to thirteen sixty-four a share. Buy the low, close your short positions. Don't be too greedy. What? Wish isn't a day trade stock. Wish is a long-term hold. You hold for years and years. Wish will easily be $50 a share. Excuse me? Wish worth much more. Crazy grow and a lot users. We will talk soon. It's not normal. It's not normal. This happened on all of our Wish videos. That one's the one that just came out a few days ago when I covered the Wish IPO and it being weird. Same deal. Analysts have, have valued this highly. And this guy from second one and using keywords look, looks to be fear-mongering. He's referring to me as this guy. I'm sure he is shorting the Wish stock. I wasn't, but I, I probably should have. 
Wish will overtake Alibaba in the future. It's not too late to buy the ticker. Context logic. This isn't normal. This is not normal. This is absolutely some kind of Chinese bot farm, 50 cent army, promoting, right, and flagging our videos. Our videos are good. I mean, this has a few thousand views, 4,500 views on this one. I mean, but it's not like these are getting hundreds of thousands of views. But no, we're getting all these comments in support of Wish. No, 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 not normal. This one that just came out a few days ago, 350 views. It's weird. It's not normal. Let's look at the Wish background. Okay, well, hmm, what kind of ties does Wish have to China? Well, Danny Zhang, the former CTO and co-founder, is Chinese. And when you, and this is on Wikipedia. You can just go look this up on Wikipedia. Uh, JD.com is an investor in Wish. That's a pretty good Chinese connection. And now look at this in November, November of 21, the Wish e-commerce platform, including website and apps, have been delisted from Google search results in France and from Google's French app store after French authorities claimed that many items sold on the platform do not comply with European regulations. The same authorities also accused the platform of selling counterfeit items. This is what we've talked about on the show many, many times. Here's, oof, this one hurts. General Atlantic putting money in in August of 2019 at an $11 billion valuation. Ouch, 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 ouch. Because, why is that such an ouchie? Because, oh, Wish is worth $2 billion today. Aye, 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 aye. This company is a complete joke. I don't know what's more of a joke, Twitter or Wish. Honestly, it's probably Wish. Um, even though I wanted to say Twitter, really, it's it, Wish. And these bots are not normal. The, this is like JD.com, CCP, Thread the Needle, uh, sending the 50 Cent Army out on their behalf on the YouTubes. Real weird stuff. Don't trust it at all for one second. I mean, they're selling all of just Chinese manufacturers crap anyway. Anyway, wow, what a winning episode today. What a great day of topics. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'm clearly a little jacked up. Have a great day. Thank you very much for joining us. That's it for us today on Winner Take All.